Good morning and welcome to Community Life Church. My name is Kat Seiler, the Director of Adult Ministries here, and this is Noah. <laughs> this is my son Noah. Uh, we just want to welcome you uh, to our church this morning um, in this beautiful, crisp, cool Sunday morning. Uh, one quick announcement before we get everything started. Um, if any of you are interested in jumping into a Bible study or a life group, um, our registration is currently open. And so if you're interested in just checking out the opportunities that we have, I encourage you to grab one of our books out in the lobby. Uh, Chelsea should be out there too. And so she can help answer any questions that you have. Um, and now if you would, if you would please stand, we're going to join our hearts together and pray the Lord's Prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day for this opportunity to just step away from our week and come here and focus um, our thoughts and our hearts on you. We ask a special blessing on Pastor Scott as he delivers today's message. Uh, we just ask that this message uh, may come into our hearts and truly be part of that beautiful transformation that takes, uh, takes part. And we give up this time to you and we do this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning. So glad that you're here to worship with us. Let's just open up our hearts. We know that God's got something amazing today, so let's be ready for that. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit come over us. Come rest on us, come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit come move over us. Come rest on us, come rest on us. Come down, Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. Here and I know you will feel me come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart down. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Oh, fill us up, Jesus. We need you today. Come rest on us, come rest on, sing that again, as the Spirit 
sing it to him. Come down, spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Come down, spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Thank God for that this morning. My God will never fail. Sing that line again, my God. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. Hey, yeah. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war, every walk he wages, he will.
the greatest battle is the battle we fight in our minds. Amen. And so we have to learn to turn those things over to God and know that He's going to help us. I know that we all have battles. We all have seasons that we face and some are harder than others. And learning to trust God is probably one of the hardest things to do just to know that God sees it all. He knows it all. And He's ahead of it. I promise you just keep praying and keep believing and keep trusting. Amen. Let's continue to worship Him.
sought the Lord. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. That's why I trust Him. That's why I trust Him. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I sought the Lord. God, thank you for this focused time that we have to remember your word and remember all that you've done for us, all that you are doing, all that you want to do in and through us. God, help us to remember that your plan can never fail. The power of hell will not prevail against your plan, God, for the church, for redemption. And Jesus, we look to you this morning just as our perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that was sacrificed on our behalf. Jesus, to know that you rose again in power, that you reign today. All of heaven is rejoicing and praising and worshiping you right now. And in your goodness and in your grace and kindness, you invite us into that. We can come boldly, we can come fully into your presence, Jesus, because of what you have done for us. I pray that we would anchor ourselves into that this morning, Jesus, and remember all that you've done and how good you are for us. Father, that we can trust you fully, completely. We don't have to hide. God, we can come to you, lay down everything at your feet, our sins, our fears, our sorrows, God, our shame, our hurts, our pain. Thank you for being that big of a God. We love you so much. We look expectantly to your word this morning, just as we dive in together, God, by your spirit, that it might change us, it might 
just light our heart on fire to see more of you, God, less of us and more of you. We love you so much. We thank you for this time. We love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, church, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Can we lift a shout of praise to Jesus this morning? Thank you guys so much for singing with us. Um, and I'd love to get our voices filling this room and this place. So before you sit down, if you would, just say hello to somebody. Welcome them here to CLC if you're joining us online. Um, thanks for being here, and we will be right back at you. Well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Marino, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to welcome you into our family room, and it's an honor to welcome all of those that are online. Now, you guys here may not know this, but every week we have about 300 people that log in all over the United States and the world, and many of those folks are in South Dakota in Wyoming, in Montana, and they have like negative 40s today. So y'all just, just wave at them. Uh -huh. We love you. Come visit us. It's, way, it's warm down here. It's nice. Whatever it is, we think we're freezing, but we are not freezing. It's, it's a beautiful place. But we're thinking about you, hoping you're staying warm. And um, thank you for connecting this morning. At Community Life, we love God. We love our neighbor. And we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover the source of life, that yes, you will hold on to it, but then that you will share that source with every single person that you encounter. And um, for us, that's our mission. So if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you, um, we would be honored to do that as well. Amen? <clears throat> now, I'm, I feel like I'm a baseball player that's on a pitch count. I'm on a word count. Uh, I've been preaching hard this morning, so if at some point I go down, I'll hand the Bible to somebody and you guys come on up and continue on in the service, right? Um, it's, it's been a great morning. <clears throat> all morning. So a um, couple quick announcements, and then we will we'll jump into the message. So this week on uh, Wednesday night, we have what we call our First Steps Dinner, and it's really an opportunity just to get to know folks that maybe have been attending the church for a little while, and, and you're looking for a way to get connected, but maybe you're not really sure how to do that. You can imagine on a Sunday morning, it's so hard uh, to get to know everybody, but First Steps is it, set up so that we can give you an opportunity to ask questions, you can meet the team, uh, and just really kind of get connected. So if you've not done that, we would love to have you join us, but we need to know who you are so we can provide enough food, and if you need childcare or those things, um, we can go ahead and take care of that. So you can either stop by out the welcome desk on the way out, or use the two QR codes that are on the chair in front of you, or if you're at home online, the one on the left is, uh, will get you to all of the information and events, and the one on the right is our giving QR code, and uh, you can give that way and, and collect to the life, connect to the life of the church. And then the second announcement is about Night to Shine. So for those who don't know, every February-ish, uh, we host a, a prom here at the church for our special needs community. And we're gonna do that this February. And I'm gonna tell you, it's the most incredible night. It really gives us an opportunity to take 200 of our friends and provide them with tuxedos, with um, prom elegant gowns, uh, to, to put them in a limousine or in a, one of those limousine party buses, drive them around the property, drop them off at the red carpet, have paparazzi scream and celebrate them, bring them inside. We dance, we eat. And then at the end of the prom, we crown them all king and queen of the prom. It's one of the most profound 
beautiful moments of ministry that we have at the church. And um, we're looking forward to that coming up here in February. But we need help. Got a lot of people that are signing up, but we still need some folks to jump in and join the team. And the biggest area that we need is in the area of being a buddy. Now, what a buddy is, a buddy is a person that we will pair up with one of our special needs folks, and you will go to the prom with them. And so for some of you that maybe missed out on your senior prom, come on, this is your chance to go on a prom. You can come, we'll pair you up. We're not going to put you in a situation that you're not comfortable with, um, but we're going to make sure that it all works, and you are going to have the time of your life. And I promise that God will do something special inside of your heart. So make sure that on your way out today, you can stop by, you can see the ladies out of the, at the desk, uh, get signed up, get registered for that, and we just look forward to it being an incredible night. And then last but not least... Next Sunday, um, during this service, Clint will be hosting an interest meeting for folks who, who would like to go on a foreign mission trip. Um, so we're hosting a, an international mission trip to Belize, and he's putting all that information together. So if that's something that you'd be interested in doing, uh, make sure that you uh, sign up, come to that next week, 1130, or stop by and ask him some questions out in the lobby, and he'll get you taken care of. Okay. So um, last week, as we kind of started the year off, um, the first thing that we, we sort of established, and we, we kind of do this every year, is to, is to really set the stage for the year and to tell you what this year is shaping up to be like. What is it that God is, is really speaking over us? And, and so as we created our sermon series plan in September and August of last year, when you look at all the sermon series, one thing that you recognize is that most of them have to do a transformation. That as we go through these studies, that they are designed to call us to a deeper place in our faith. Now, serving God can be an absolute blast, and it can also be work, transformation. And I think this is the year where God is going to dig down deep inside of our hearts and bring us to a whole new place. So why do I say that? So that you're ready, so that you prepare yourself for the task, and so that you open up your heart and you ask God to prepare you for, for what's going to be in front of us. And so that said, knowing that this year is a, is a year of transformation, we're starting off with a series that's called Speak Life. And in this series... We're looking at the importance of what it means to speak life over individuals, over ourselves, over our families, over those people that we work with, and really the power of the words that come out of our mouth. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I have this hidden ability. My wife can send me to the store to pick something up, and I can forget what she asked me to get within three seconds. You guys ever had that happen? Like, I get to the truck, and I have no idea, but I know I'm supposed to go to the store, so I'll go to the store, and I'll wander around for a half hour until she calls me, and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I have really no idea, so how about you clue me in? And so she'll tell me, but I also have this other ability. I have the ability to sometimes remember things that people spoke over me 17, 20, 25 years ago. Um, prior to Tammy and I moving here, I sat across the table. I've shared this story with you before. I sat across the table with um, my senior pastor at the time, a person that I admired with all of my heart. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, Scott, I want you to know that you do not have what it takes to be a senior pastor, that you're making a mistake and you making this move is, is not going to be a good move for you and Tammy. And um, I know now after doing the work that the words he spoke came out of a place of insecurity in his own heart and he was trying to hold on to the things that he had going on there. But I want you to know that every time we face difficult times here at the church, those words, as much as I have taken the sting out of them, loom large in my mind. It's a challenge that I have to go through. Words matter, amen? And so we wanna be a people who speak life, who speak hope, who draw out of people the things that God has placed inside of them and bring it to the surface so that we can see people live to the fullness that God has called for them. And so that's what this series is all about. 
We started last week in, um, in Judges chapter 6. Oh, oh, I jumped ahead. Uh, there's two foundational verses for our series. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And um, King Solomon gives us this. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what Solomon tells us is that we all have the ability to speak life, and we all have the ability to speak death, but whatever we choose, we are going to eat the fruit that is produced from those words that we push out into this world. And so for us, we're going to choose life. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, he's clarifying a miracle that he just performed, and he's talking about the transformation that happens in our hearts. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. And so not only do we have the ability to speak life or death, we draw that speech from what we have placed inside of our hearts. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are speaking to someone and you realize what I'm saying is not good, so whether you're speaking to your child, your spouse, in your workplace, then you need to stop process what you've just done. You may need to ask for forgiveness and work through that or come to Celebrate Recovery and we'll help you work through that. Um, work through that, but then go back and look at what you've been placing inside of your heart and realize that the transformation piece is to remove the garbage to get that out so that we can understand what God has spoken over us. So when we speak words, we're speaking out of this treasure that we've stored up inside of our hearts that God has given to us. And so in the week one, we looked at um, Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And what we find in the story of Gideon is um, Israel's in a really bad spot. They're hiding from the Midianites. And Gideon is right there on point with the rest of the Israelites. He is threshing wheat on a wine press. And if you want to hear and understand culturally what that is like, go back and listen to the message online. But, but what you need to know is that what he's doing is really cowardly. He's hiding. He doesn't want anybody to take his stuff. He's not doing this out in the open. And he's, he has a faith and a belief inside of his heart, but he's, he's not doing anything about it. He's letting the world shape who he is. And then along comes God. And when God references him, he calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And what you have to wrestle with is the fact that there is nothing mighty and nothing warrior about what he's doing. So when you go through the message, you realize that God is calling to something deeper inside of him. And the point that we came out with is we have all been created in the image of God. So if you don't know who God is, it is impossible for you to know who you are. That because we are created in the image of God, we have to know the heart of God, the nature of God, the character of God. And if we can know that, then we can shape our lives and we can live to the fullness of what God has called us to. And so in Gideon, that was the message that we learned. Today, um, we're going to move forward into, the, into our biblical text to a story that's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn there, I encourage you to do that. If not, we'll have the story up on the screen. But we're going to be looking at the story around this person named Naaman. And we're going to be talking about what it means to speak life. That's what God did over Gideon. He spoke life. He called out of him what God had placed there. How does God or how do these people speak life in this story? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, and then I'm going to tell you in the message, and I'm going to tell you at the end. This entire chapter is, is really written around power dynamics. And the best way to put this is, this is an understanding of God giving voice to the voiceless. So our main characters in this story are going to be Naaman, which is a, a commander in an army that is an enemy of Israel. It's going to be the king of Israel. It's going to be Elisha. 
And then there are going to be some unnamed servants. So you have those who have power and those who don't have power. And as we go along in the sermon, I encourage you to hear who it is that's speaking life. And for the purposes of this message, to me, speaking life also has to do with directing someone towards the source of life. And that's what I see inside this message. Now, just to set it up so you can understand the context of where we are. Last week we were in Judges, and we talked about Judges being the downward spiral for Israel as they just went into oblivion. They just fell into, and, and, and fell apart morally. This week we're picking up in 2 Kings, and this is a, during a time that's known as the Kingdom Period. So you may remember these first three kings of Israel. There was Saul, there was David, and there was Solomon. After Solomon, Israel as a whole splits into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as the kingdom of Judah. Now, we're going to be working in Samaria, which is in the northern kingdom, and we're going to be working with Elisha. And if you just kind of want to have an understanding of what we're dealing with, when um, an account is given of all of the kings, they tell you whether they were righteous or not righteous. In all of the history of the northern kingdom, there was not one righteous king. So that gives you an understanding of what we're dealing with in the northern kingdom. And that really comes into play as we work through our text. So, um, so we're going to be dealing with, uh, all, all this is going to come out. Y'all ready? Let's just study. That's enough setup. I'll set it up. And if I, if I miss it, raise your hand if you have a question. Clint will answer it. Here we go. For 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, Aram was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord, or Yahweh, had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. So Jeremiah, who's believed to be the one that wrote Second Kings or, or put these stories together, wants us to get all of this information in verse 1. And, and I'll, I'll give it to you so you can kind of see how the story unfolds. So Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram, maybe if you're following along in your Bibles, is also known as Syria. And as I went through and I studied, oftentimes those names are interchangeable. They mean the same place. It just depends on who your Bible translator is. Do they use the ancient name or do they use the present name? And so it could be Syria, it could be Aram. It's the same nation, right? So he's the commander of the army of Aram. And he's a great man, but you get this verse where he says, by him, the Lord, Yahweh, had given victory to Aram. So we're, if we were Jewish and we were reading this text, that would be frustrating. Because we are going to find out that sometimes God empowers foreign armies in the Old Testament to have victory over Israel because he's constantly trying to get Israel's attention. And they just don't pay attention. So what does he do? He allows them to lose, to be destroyed. And then ultimately they finally go, God, what's going on? And he's like, finally, somebody's going to ask me. Somebody's going to look. And so oftentimes he would use these foreign armies to get his attention. So we have an instance of Naaman who God used as a foreign person, uh, an unclean foreigner, um, to have victory over Israel. Um, one other thing to note, um, extra canonical, that means outside the Bible, studies of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian after the time of Jesus. He records that he believes that Naaman is the same unnamed archer that you find in 1 Kings chapter 22 that shot the arrow that ultimately killed Ahab. Now you may say, Scott, what does that have to do with anything? 
Nothing really. But if you're a Bible nerd, go back and look at it. And how does he know? He's 100% maybe sure of that. It's just interesting because here this person is, he's unknown and all of a sudden now he's a person of prominence. So wouldn't God often do that? And then last thing I need to tell you, he's listed as a mighty warrior, which means it would come along with all the trappings of being a mighty warrior, except he has leprosy. So basically he has a death sentence and everything that he has meant to this point is now about to be lost. So here we go in the story. Verse two. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so here we have this story of Naaman, this powerful person. And then we are introduced to this nameless servant girl. And I'll just go ahead and add a nameless servant girl who was stripped away from her homeland and placed into servitude by the person that we're reading about. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, from my perspective, she's the one that chooses to speak life. She speaks life over this person, and she gives him the opportunity to make a decision that will move him towards healing. But if we were really to look at this, could you imagine if a person came in and stripped you away from your home, homeland and set you as a servant in another homeland, how willing you would be to help them? I mean, it's not in our nature. Oftentimes we would look at them and we'd be like, I hope you die. That's not the heart of this person. There's something about her that has the heart of God that she wants to see him well. And because she's willing to speak life, we see a tremendous change happen in scripture. Now, something that I forgot to mention in the last few services, she doesn't say this to Naaman. She probably doesn't have an audience with him, but she's obedient to speak the words where she can puts them out into the world, and God takes and uses them as he would. So he, she speaks it to the mistress, um, her mistress, and then God gets them to her husband, to Naaman. Verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went taking with him 10,000 talents, ten, or excuse me, he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. Now, it's easy to read over that. These aren't measurements that we use to this day, but you can go back in antiquity and you can find out how much that weight is. And here's what you need to know. As he went to the, meet the king of Israel, he was bringing along with him $4.5 million worth of gold. Can we all agree that he didn't just throw this in a bag and drive it over there, right? So he would have had soldiers, guards, would have had an entourage. When he shows up in Israel, this would have been a pretty big statement that he would have made. Verse six, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now imagine if you had someone show up at your house. You were some prominent leader shows up at your house. Your enemy sends somebody that's influential in their world over to your house. And they show up with a big bag of cash. And they say to you, here's my buddy. I need you to go ahead and heal him. You'd be stuck in a pretty tough spot, right? Because if you turn him away, you have offended a foreign army. But if you keep him, you can't heal him. So you're really stuck. And this is exactly what we see happen to the king of Israel. Verse seven, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. Now that's a sign of, of, um, of anger. 
That's a sign of brokenness. That's a sign that something tremendous has happened, like you have offended me dearly. And so he, he tears his clothes. And when the king is anxious and frustrated, guess who else is anxious and frustrated? Everybody, right? When the king is not having a good day, nobody's having a good day. So he tears his clothes and said, am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. And I'm just gonna tell you, he's not wrong. He's stuck. He's in a bad spot. I mean, he knows that his enemy sent him over here and he, he can't do anything about it. Now, here's what I think Jeremiah wants us to see in this story. The king of Israel, of everybody, should at least consider God. He should wonder what God has to say about this, but he doesn't do anything. He just throws a temper tantrum. He rips his clothes and lets everybody else know that he's upset and doesn't do a thing about it. So what Jeremiah wants you to know is that the people that are in power that should know better, they aren't acting like they know better and they're not bringing this to God. They're not even consulting God. So you're starting to see the disconnect from the people that should have a voice versus those who don't have a voice. Verse eight, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Or he probably could have said, really? Why did you torn your clothes? That's what I would have said. Really, why did you tear your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, there's an interesting dynamic between the king that's in the north and, and Elisha. Normally, if you were doing anything, you would consult your prophets. But there's not a great relationship between the two because the king of Israel did whatever he wanted to do and Elisha always held to what God wanted to do and oftentimes the two didn't go together so the king just hated him and didn't want anything to do with him and he would never ask him. So that kind of shows you that breakdown of that relationship. So that's why Elisha would say, just send him over here and I'll take care of it. <clears throat> now, another thing that, um, that came up in, in my Bible study this week, somebody asked the question, what do you think Elisha was saying? Send him down here so that he knows there's a prophet in Israel. Was he being cocky? Was he trying to take credit for this whole thing? Now, as we go through the rest of the message, you're gonna find that Elisha is very specific in the way that he goes about um, offering this person a way to be healed. He does it in a way that does not allow himself to receive any of the credit. So I'm not gonna think that in doing the miracle that way that he would say something that drew attention to himself. So for me... I think this is more protocol, that during that time, if you were to want to know what God had to say, you would go find the prophet in the land, and if that prophet was, the, was a true prophet, he would be speaking on behalf of God. So him saying, send him down here, and he will know that there's a true prophet, would be more connected to send him down here, and we'll see what God has to say to him. That makes sense to everybody? Um, okay. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a what? A messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Now I, for years, I've taught this message as in, oh, oh, oh Elisha wanted to teach him a, a lesson and he didn't even go talk to him. He just sent his messenger out there as a slight Right? And, and I'll tell you, he receives it as a slight, but, but then someone in my Bible study this week said something that I'm going to tell you made total sense. If Elisha was a man of God and leprosy had the place that it did in their understanding of faith, it would have been wrong for him to go out there 
Because if he would have gotten in too close a proximity to this person with leprosy, it would have made him unclean, would not have allowed him to do the work that he was supposed to do. So this could have been normal protocol. But regardless, him sending his messenger out there would have removed Elisha away from getting the credit for doing this miracle. So he sends his messenger out there and he gives him specific instructions as to what to do. He says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And verse 11 comes along and you got to know that this does not sit well with Naaman. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, and here's a phrase that I I think is is hilarious. He went away saying, I thought, how many of you ever got in trouble saying that? And if you said it to your parents, you really got in trouble. I thought you should do it my way, right? But he, he even goes a step further. He says, I thought that for me, you ever pride much? Like there's, a, there's an idea of, of what he's saying here that immediately points to the condition of his heart. I thought that for me, he was gonna do something different. I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? Are clean? He turned and walked away in a rage. He's insulted. He's like, I, I'm outside your house. I've got $4.5 million. And you're sending a messenger out to me? It's not okay. It's not okay. Look at the first words of this next verse. Verse 13. But his, what? Servants. Once again, people who should have no voice in this story, no prominence, are the ones who speak life, are the ones who offer wisdom, who offer insight in this most important moment. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, so they're, they're literally facing his pride. Imagine how dangerous that would be when you're approaching the, the general of the army and you're like, let's talk about your pride for just a moment. He says, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? Imagine that was a real gut check for Naaman who knew that he had a life sentence and he could go back and be angry. Something shifted inside of his heart. Verse 14, So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Imagine that imagery. This guy who has so much pride, in some cases arrogance, but would have been respected by his his other troop members that were there. He has to go into that Jordan River, which in some cases you can jump across, and the water's muddy, and seven times he has to dip in this thing. Talk about humbling you bringing you to a whole new place, God brought him to a new spot in his life. And when he dipped on that seventh time, he comes out and his skin is clean. And it says that it's almost like that of a child. Verse 15. And and to me, that's that regeneration moment. That's when you see the heart transformed in his life. Verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, now I know that there is no other God in all the earth except in Israel. Who's speaking life now? He said, please accept a present from your what? My, how the tables have turned. God has reset his heart. He's given him a better perspective as to what he's facing. A present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives, this is Elisha, whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. Um, I think that's so key. 
that Elisha keeps everything at arm's length to make sure that God has his way in this person's life. Doesn't take any of the credit for it. Verse 17, the Naaman said, if not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one account, or on one count. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Ramon, when I do bow down in the house of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. Verse 19, this, this to me is a powerful verse, and it pulls it all together. He said to him, go in peace. Other words, he says, go in shalom. The word shalom, when you break it down, means go as one who is complete. Not only was he healed physically, I believe, according to what I read in that story, he was healed spiritually. And so we find the story of a general in an opposing army to Israel having a moment of faith where he takes the words that were spoken over him, allows them to transform his life, and in an act of obedience, experience an encounter with God that heals him and allows him to go home in a completely different place than when he showed up. A person of faith who is now leaving with shalom, with his life being made complete. Cool story. I mean, I, I love it. I love all the details. I love diving into it, looking at the nuance. Um, if you want to break your brain, think about this story in reference to Jeremiah writing it. And um, I imagine through all the struggles that Jeremiah had relating to kings when the kings would not listen and so ultimately they were all exiled, Jeremiah's like, none of these kings listen. Pay attention to this story, the power dynamic. You guys aren't listening to what God is trying to say. That, that's just a one-off message. That's, that's what I hear when, I'm, when I imagine from that perspective when I read it. But we ask ourselves, what does this story have to do with speaking life? And no question in this chapter, there is a bullseye on the power dynamic. Those who have voice and those who don't have voice and how God um, uses each one of them or doesn't use the ones of them. So we have the wealthy, elite, strong, noble, throwing money and power and, and trying to control something that no one could control. And then on the other hand, you have those that are defined as powerless, literally nameless, as the one who say the words that lead to name and finding healing and finding his connection to God, the ones that speak life. You have this power dynamic in what you find and how God uses every single one of them. And so the first thought that I want to present to you today is this, that your ability to speak life is not limited by your prominence or standing in life. That your ability to speak life is not limited by your prominence or your lack of prominence or your standing in life. One of the things that I love about this church is that we are a church who loves to restore, to bring people together, to help stand them off, up, dust them off, and to get them connected back into the heart of God and move them forward looking towards the purpose and the design that they have in life. But it's so easy when you have experienced this and done this and, and done things that you can't even imagine that you don't want anybody to know about. It's so easy to disqualify yourself for what God has called you to. Please hear me. No one can disqualify you but yourself. That your prominence in life does not limit you from being able to speak life in whatever situation you find yourself in. One of the markers of our faith is that there is this, this math equation, if you will, that God uses. That God oftentimes uses the, the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And why does he do that? 
so that no one can boast. He does it so that all of the glory goes to God. Well, it doesn't make any sense that this person can say anything that is of any notable nature. And God says, except for me, that I can empower and I can bring you along. And so God receives the glory inside of all of that. So we have to recognize and not limit ourselves and understand that when God speaks to us, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, when God gives us an opportunity to speak life, don't shortcut yourself. Be willing to do that because you have no idea the power of the words that you will speak and the change that it will make in someone else's life. Amen? All right, go back and you can think of the story. David, who was a shepherd, he turns into the most prominent king of Israel. Uh, Jesus uses fishermen and tax collectors to carry the message of salvation. And then ultimately, Mary Magdalene, on the day of the resurrection, a woman who is possessed with seven demons, becomes the one that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to first. You know that message is true. So, so quit telling yourself that you're less than and understanding the God that, that, that's, put, that's, that's done something in your heart. The second thought is this, and, and I thought this was an interesting switch, something we need to process, is that yes, our prominence doesn't limit our ability to speak life, but our prominence and standing can limit our ability to clearly hear when life is spoken over us. This story is a cautionary tale that sometimes the bigger we get, the harder it is for us to hear God because our voice becomes so loud. Our heads get so big. Think about Naaman going into this story so deeply offended. I thought that he would do it this way, right? When God was not just dealing with the leprosy, he was dealing with Naaman's what? His heart. There was a bigger transformation that God was trying to make. He didn't want to just heal Naaman's leprosy. He wanted to transform him and change him. How often do we think, I'm just going to pray and God's going to remove this thing. Well, God, why didn't you remove this thing? Sometimes there's a process that God wants us to go through, to work through so that we can experience that healing inside of our lives. Who are we to think that we know better than God? And if we were going to ask the next question, this is a, here's a quiz. You guys can answer this. When Jesus walked this earth, who was it that struggled the most to receive the message? It was the religious leaders, right? It was the ones that you would expect to know exactly what God was doing, when God was doing it. But man, they missed it completely. And there were a few that caught it. I, I like the story of Nicodemus, how in John, John 3, Nicodemus hears something, it does something to his heart. And so under the cover of darkness, so nobody knows that he doesn't know, because protect that pride, he goes and he says, Jesus, tell, tell me about this. And Jesus is like, you got to be born again. And he's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean I got to be born again? And so Jesus talks about the nature and the, and the spirit and how those hearts are transformed. So we have to be careful that we don't allow um, our self, our prominence, our role to get us to a place to where we think we know better than God. We need to make sure that our hearts are always anchored. That's where that transformation piece comes from. And please hear me. This is not me bashing on people that are prominent. I've met just as many people who are not prominent that are just as prideful as anybody else. We need to make sure that our hearts are anchored in our faith, and that's where we're drawing our understanding of God from. Amen? Amen. Now, um, I've got a few moments, and uh, I've done this in the first two services, and I don't want to rip you guys off, so I'm, I'm going to do it here. Uh, that's the message. Don't limit your voice, and be careful that you don't allow your own voice, knowing that you are created in the image of God, but you are not God. Don't let your voice trump the voice of God. Understand those two things. But here's the bonus message. So yesterday, and even this morning as I was putting this together, started wrestling with some scripture that I was reading. 
So you can't forget what we just said, okay? Everybody agree? Don't forget what we just talked about. I'm going to give you the extra part of the message. Jesus himself mentions Naaman. And as I read it, I remember looking at it going, ah, I already wrote the message. God, I can't go back and change it. And then I thought, well, if I have time, we're going to put it in there. Jesus mentions Naaman in Luke chapter 4. And, and here's what he says, and if we're going to talk about it in terms of speak life, this may be the best part of the whole message. And, and I'm, so I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to speak life. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus opens the Isaiah scroll, and he talks about um, bringing uh, freedom to the captives. And, and he reads the Isaiah scroll, and then he sits down, and then he starts to teach. And he talks to them, and he says, today this scroll has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody that's there is like, wait a minute, that's... Joseph and Mary's son. What's so special about him? And he says, guys, I want you to know that a prophet is without honor in his own home. And then he tells these two stories. He said, do you remember in our history, there was Elijah and Elijah reached out and healed a widow. That in all of Israel, there were a ton of widows, but only one that was healed. And she wasn't from, from, um, from Israel, she was um, from Zarephath. So she was this widow that was outside of Israel. And, and she was the only one to be healed. He said, and then there was Elisha, and there was a leper by the name of Naaman, who was healed, who was from outside of Israel. And, um, he's, and, and so here's the inference that was made. The people get very upset when they hear it, and they go to attack him to try and kill him. Now you may be saying, Scott, what does that mean? Hold on tight. What Jesus was saying was, during that time during the kings, that the people who were supposed to know the word of God and believe in God and have faith in God didn't have enough faith to be healed themselves. And so Elijah and Elisha had to go outside of Israel to find someone who had enough faith to experience the healing that God wanted to provide for them. And so here's what I, I think that means as we think about it today. It's so easy to be people of faith and to allow these stories to become stories. That we understand them, we study them, but we remove the power from them and we aren't even willing to trust that God can do what he says in this scripture in our very own lives. And what God says is if you're not willing to believe, I'm going to go find somebody that will. And so here's what I want to say. If we're going to talk about speaking life, we have to recall back to those days where we first became believers, where we realized that not only can God save our souls, he can also save our marriages, he can save our children, he can provide us hope, he can give us direction, he can give me insight into this world because he's the God of creation, he can do all of these different things. We can't allow ourselves to allow our faith to turn into religion, which is really just a cold representation of what it was ever intended to be. God is alive, he's active, and he's present in your lives today, and he has the power to not only speak life, but to bring you to life. Amen? Okay. So, that's the bonus message. We have to speak life over ourselves and call back into being what we know and what we believe to be true. That this God that we believe and that we serve is the God of creation. And if he decides he's gonna do something, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna do exactly that. And here's the close of the message. If you're a person that doesn't know Jesus, you need to. Because that's the image that you were created into. And if you don't have that image imprinted on your heart, then you are only as good as you are. And I don't mean righteous. I mean, you can only accomplish 
as much as you can accomplish in life and you are on your own. You can surround yourself with other people that feel that way, but if you don't have the image of God, then you are the sum total of yourself. Today, you can open up your heart and you can choose to believe in the eternal one who put that imprint on your soul. And today, you can match those things and you can know who you are truly called to be by saying, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, and allow that faith to come to life inside of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for these moments, how powerful they are. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would choose to believe life, that we would minimize those moments where our mouth gets loose. But God, we would allow you access to speak, to love, to nurture, to draw people into relationships, God, that, that bring life into, into who they are. Um, all throughout the day, God, you've been bringing people to the front that have been asking, well, I'm in this situation, in this situation, and what do you suggest? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead that we would know that we're not living this life alone. If we're believers, that you've given us inside of our hearts your Holy Spirit, the wisdom of the world, the creation, the wisdom of God, I should say, to help to navigate through any situation. And today, we lean into that. And Lord, I pray a special prayer for those that maybe would open their hearts for the first time to believe that, God, you would fill their soul with life. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And the team is going to lead us in one final song. Uh, sing along with them. Allow these words to, to speak to you. Pastor Addy's on this side. I'm on this side. We'd love to pray with you this morning. The altars are open. And we just encourage you to allow this time to really minister to you. Yeah.
How amazing is it that we get to serve a God, regardless of our position or our station in life, how much voice we feel like we have in this world, God is able to use us and our words to speak life into those around us. It's my prayer that we would continue to be those sorts of people. Then our relationships and those places that we get to serve and our jobs and our relation and our families as parents, as spouses, we get to speak life into those around us. God is the one who's spoken life into your life as well. If you're new here, this is your first Sunday with us, we'd love to connect with you. Just ride out in the lobby immediately following the service in the next steps room. Come and find out how you can get connected. But before we leave, let's pray, y'all. God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for the life that we have, for the breath that you spoke into us, for the ability to go and to serve you by doing likewise. God, I pray that you'd help us to be good stewards in our relationships and those places that we go. Regardless of what the world sees, help us to have the eyes to be able to see the world differently and speak life, speak your words into those around us. God, this is a year and a season where so many so desperately need to hear the truth, the hope, the love, the peace, the joy that comes from you and your son and your spirit. So help us to be those who speak those words. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a great week.